Trevor comes to us today from Chosen People Ministries, and he's going to talk to us about the Fall Feast of Israel and how we see the Messiah in those. Uh, so fitting that we sang the song, this is the feast, fitting that we have a feast after he's done here. And I'd just like to say a brief prayer for you, Trevor. So, Lord, we thank you for bringing Trevor here today. We thank you, Lord, for his work, his ministry, and the way that he has answered your call in his life. And we pray, Lord, today that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit as he teaches us and encourages us to see the scriptures come alive in our daily lives and through the person of Jesus Christ, who we get to know personally as our Savior. We praise this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Bless you guys once again. It's always wonderful to see you. I think I am your only Norwegian Jewish missionary. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty confident here at this church. I am with an organization called Chosen People Ministries. Um, we are uh, historically, actually, we're linked to an organization called Good News for Israel that has Haugi roots, so very similar to, uh, to many of the people here, and so it's really a blessing to be here with everybody, and uh, I'm a missionary to the Jewish community. Um, actually, this is part of the area that I cover with, the, with our mission, although if you haven't noticed, there probably aren't a lot of Jewish people in your area, so, uh, so the primary area that I focus on is in Minneapolis, and uh, in particular, I live in St. Louis Park. Uh, it's affectionately referred to as St. Jewish Park because there's a very large Jewish population in that suburb of Minneapolis. It's about 25% Jewish. Uh, by the grace of God, over the, since I began in this ministry about 12 years ago, we've seen a massive increase of Jewish people coming to faith. And so much so that actually in America, estimates are creeping up on a million Jewish people professing Jesus in this country out of a population of seven and a half million. Um, it's gotten to the point to where it was very difficult to reach Jewish people with the gospel to where today I have Jewish people regularly contacting me, asking me questions about Jesus. So if ever I can be of a tool to anybody here, reaching a Jewish friend, loved one, uh, please, please contact us. Use us as a resource. We're a tool for the church. I have brochures out there if anyone wants to know more about our ministry. They're out on the reception table out there, and, and you could receive newsletters and hear the wonderful thing that's, that God is doing amongst his people. So without waiting any longer, let's pray, and then let's get into the word. Abba, Father, our Lord and our King, God, we thank you for this time, God. Lord, we thank for the ability that you give us to communicate with you, Father. Father, because you were so loving and so kind to us and sending your son to die for our sins so we could be reconciled to you, God. And Father, today, Lord, we ask, Father, that through the message, you help strengthen our faith, deepen our convictions, and strengthen, Father, our understanding and our heart to share your truth and your good news with a lost and hurting world. We love you so much, and we praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus, B'Shem Yeshua, amen, amen. Look at that. It's rare for me that technology works right away, Pastor. I was a little shocked. You've got a good crew. Praise God. So today what we're going to talk about are the fall feasts of Israel. I know I'm not pushing fall forward any further and quicker than we need to, um, but, uh, but this is the next set of holidays that we have coming up. 
And what we've talked about previously here is how Jesus fulfills the Hebrew scriptures in his life. You see in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it says that the Word put a tent of human flesh and walked among us. You see, Jesus really becomes the walking, talking Word of God in that every element of the Hebrew Scriptures and the instructions of the people of Israel was intended to point to a greater spiritual truth. And what greater spiritual truth is there than Jesus, our promised Messiah? And so we see that the Lord actually had fulfilled many of the holidays that Israel was instructed to do in the spring. You see, as we have spoken of here previously, Jesus fulfilled the Passover, the date in which the people of Israel spread the blood of the lamb over their homes so they could be passed over of the death of the firstborn was the same calendar date that Jesus, our Passover lamb, shed his blood so that we could be passed over of the judgment of sin that leads to death and instead be forgiven because our Lord took the punishment that we deserved upon himself. And then the next major Jewish feast here, we see unleavened bread listed, which is really just associated with the Passover in modern times. The next major feast that you see listed is called First Fruits. First Fruits occurs on the Sunday after the Passover. According to Jewish tradition, this is the date that the people of Israel went into the sea and then came out of the sea when then the sea collapsed on Pharaoh's army. This is the Sunday after the Passover, the same calendar day that Jesus would have rose from the dead. The next major Jewish feast that we see listed here called Shavuot, which occurs in May or June. This is called Pentecost also. It has to do with the number of days from the Feast of First Fruits. And Pentecost is, according to Jewish tradition, the day that Moses comes down with the law. And when Moses came down with the law, he saw the people worshiping a golden calf, and he had to kill 3,000 people for breaking the law of God. But on that exact same calendar day in the year that Jesus died, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, came upon the church, and 3,000 people, the same amount of people, received eternal life. The same day that the that the law brought death to 3,000 is the same calendar day that the Spirit of God brought eternal life. So we see that God fulfills the things that he has spoken to Israel through Jesus. And interestingly, then we see a major gap of time and we see three more feasts that come in the fall. Starting at the end of September this year, we have a feast called Trumpets. Yom Teruah is the actual way that it's stated in the Bible, although it's called Rosh Hashanah in the Jewish community, which means the head of the year. The next feast after that is called Atonement, Yom Kippur. And that has to do with the day in which Israel was atoned for their sins. And then Tabernacles or Sukkot, which follows soon after that. These are the feasts that we are going to look at today. In Leviticus chapter 23, all of these holidays are listed. As we heard in the scripture reading today where they went over the fall feast, but it begins this way in verse 2 where God says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you may proclaim as holy convocations that you may or that, you are, that these are my appointed feasts. Verse 44, thus Moses declared to the people of Israel, 
the appointed feasts of the Lord. The first feast, the Feast of Trumpets. Trumpets is a fascinating time of year, and this again occurs beginning in September. One of the things that occurs during trumpets is that it is the time to which kings were anointed in ancient Israel. We read about the idea of a horn or a shofar, which is what the Jewish people call the trumpets that they blow, that you see the picture of there. And it was used to anoint kings. It would be filled with oil. The oil would be poured on the king's head, and then the king would come into his position. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, speaking of David. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So the idea of trumpets, this is the Jewish horn, the shofar, has to do with bringing in the king. We see this from this text. We also see that prophetically... The idea of a trumpet, and specifically the seventh trumpet that's listed in the book of Revelation, seems to give indication of the Lord establishing his kingdom, our Lord Jesus. Look at this in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You see, there's something fascinating. With Jesus' first coming, he fulfilled part of the expected duty for what the Messiah was going to do. As we talked about, he came and he fulfilled the priestly functions of what the Messiah was supposed to accomplish. A priest intercedes for the people to reconcile them to God. That's what Jesus did. He gave his life for us. He reconciled us to God. But these latter feasts seem to give more of an indication of Jesus in his kingly function, in his rule, and in his reign as he he is king of kings and lord of lords. Something that is understood to have occurred on this day on Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah is this is the date that Abraham goes to sacrifice his son Isaac. It's a fascinating story. Sometimes it's misconstrued within our understanding. Sometimes we think about Abraham taking up this baby onto a mountain, but Isaac was not a baby. According to Jewish tradition, he was most likely close to 30 years old. But we know that he was an adult because he carried his own wood up a mountain to build his own altar, according to the text. But after what happened, when God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, to bring him up to a mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice, what occurs after this is God stops him from sacrificing his son, and instead they sacrifice another animal. And it says here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so they took a ram, and the ram's horn now becomes the symbol of this date, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, of this horn that they blow, partially in remembrance for this event in which God sent 
Abraham to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. And so this is part of the tradition that we see within this holiday. Fascinatingly, when God tells Abraham to do this, on this specific date in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, Abraham says to his assistants this, and it says this in verse 5, in, in, in Genesis 22, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. This is actually the first time worship is ever mentioned in Scripture. Worship, the first time it's mentioned, is a father going to offer his son as a sacrifice fascinating parallel that we see. Look at what the author of Hebrews said about this statement when we look at how Abraham says this in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and who he had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. Verse 18, of whom it was said, through Isaac your, uh, your, shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him up from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham had this understanding, okay? It's very important for us to understand, because God doesn't lie. It's, it's not just simply a matter of him being moral and upright, although, of course, that's true, but it goes way beyond that, because whatever God says is. If God says, let there be light, there's light. What God says is simply true. And so when God told Abraham that through his son all the nations of the world would be blessed, he understood that God would fulfill his promise. So even if he was going to sacrifice his son, God would raise him from the dead. This is why he told his associates that the lad and he will come back to him after they go to worship. But what I want us to understand is that this date, okay, this date, the, the Feast of Trumpets that's listed that comes up here later in September is prophetically pointing forward to a very important event, possibly the resurrection of the dead. Look at how 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks of a trumpet regarding the resurrection. Look at what it says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all change. So clearly there is a parallel between the idea of trumpets and a resurrection. The next major Jewish feast is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. For the Jewish people, this is the holiest of days that we have because it's the day that we try to be forgiven for our sins for one more year. We don't eat anything on that day. And so we fast corporately in the Jewish community, typically, to commemorate this feast day. The way it was implemented historically is the high priest did a series of sacrifices to atone for all of Israel's sins. It says this in Leviticus 16 as it goes and describes all of the priestly functions during that day, starting in verse 6. It says, Aaron, who of course is the high priest at this time, uh, 
shall offer a bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and all his house. So the first, pro, the first thing that Aaron has to do is he has to offer sins to make himself clean so then he can go into the presence of God and offer sacrifices for the rest of Israel so that then they can be forgiven and dwell in the land in God's presence for one more year. Leviticus verse 16 verses 9 through 10 says this, And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering, but the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. This is the scapegoat story. This is the story to where one of the goats is sacrificed, the other one they put all of their sins upon it, and they send it out into the wilderness, and this is to atone for Israel's sin. Very important section of scripture for the people of Israel because this was the date in which they dealt with their sinfulness in the presence of God. And it goes on in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29 through 31. It says, This shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. This is very important. Because now after going through and saying everything that the high priest had to do, now he's saying what the people have to do to receive atonement. Look what it says. Afflict your souls and do no work at all. We'll talk about this a little bit more here in a second. Whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you, for on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It's a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. You shall afflict your souls as a statute forever. Look at with a precedent that this is setting up. Atonement has to do with God making us right before him. And in this case, on the Day of Atonement, the holiest day for the people of Israel, the way that God set this up for them is a pattern that now we even see in our faith in Jesus is the high priest did everything and the people were instructed, you can do nothing for this. You can do nothing for this. Because how many of us have worked for our own salvation? The answer is none. Because you can't. There is nothing that you can do to earn your own salvation. Jesus did all of the work on the cross for you. This is the work of atonement. And this is what clearly is illustrated through this day. And so what we see the people of Israel doing something that pointed to a greater spiritual truth. But there is a component to this that's very important. We see an example of this in Luke chapter 18, verses 13 through 14. It says, And the tax collector standing afar off would not say, this is, excuse me, the para, this is a parable Jesus tells about a tax collector and a Pharisee regarding, uh, regarding what our heart should be in our salvation. And he's talking about a sinful tax collector, the most sinful man of all of Israel, that he stands afar off and would not as much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, apart from the high priest doing everything, the instructions for the people of Israel were twofold. One of which is you can do no work for your atonement. And the other instruction is that you have to afflict your soul. 
meaning that it's important for us to recognize that God did so much for us. And despite me being a sinner, he sent his son to die for me so that I could be forgiven of my sins. I want to show you something fascinating here. So this is, uh, when we see God repeat something over and over, it's because he's emphasizing it. And as we, re- as we heard a little bit earlier in the reading, in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 28 through 30, it says this, and you shall do no ordinary, excuse me, you shall, you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Whoever is not afflicted of soul on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. And there's six verses that talk about what the people should do during the day of atonement in Leviticus chapter 23. In six verses, five times he says, do no work, do no work, do no work, do no work, do no work. Because you can't earn it. And three times he says, afflict your soul, afflict your soul, afflict your soul. Because he wants us to recognize the depth of our sin, but yet how much greater God's love is. See, the idea of sacrifice is fascinating. Sacrifice is giving something that you see as valuable for something that you see as more valuable. And so what God was telling us when he sent his son to die for us is he's saying that he saw your eternal souls as more valuable than the temporary life of Jesus that he had here before his resurrection. That's how much he loves you. This is the message of John 3.16. But look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this important sections of scripture that Martin Luther so emphasized. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. All of these holidays have this in common. Do no work. Do no work. Do no work. It's a message that God does it. And we accept his wonderful gift. The next major Jewish feast that we have that just occurs two weeks after the first one is called the Feast of Tabernacles, Shavuot. During the time of Jesus, this was the most important feast for all of Israel. It was called the feast. According to Josephus, he said, you have not seen joy, the first century historian, unless you have seen the Jews' feast of Tabernacles, Shavuot. Today in Jewish homes, what they do is they set up these tents, these tabernacles, and they set them in their yards, and they generally will have meals there, and they will have fellowship with one another there, and they're supposed to have these things to remember the time that they dwelt in tents with God when he brought them out of Egypt into the promised land so that they could remember that we were in God's presence at one point in time. And God gave instructions for three very important feasts in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. He says, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, this is Passover. The Feast of Weeks, this is Pentecost. And the Feast of Booths, this feast, Tabernacles, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. 
Jesus celebrated this feast as we read in the, as we heard shared in the earlier chapters in John chapter seven, where it was the Jews' feast of booths. This is tabernacle, and so Jesus had gone there in private. During the feast at Jesus' time, there were some important events that were occurring, some important things that they were doing. There was a great water procession. Has anyone here been to Israel? I advise you to go. It's the best place in the world. Better than Iowa. It's not easy for me to say. But there is a pool called Siloam. It's a pool that they used to anoint the kings. And during the Feast of of Tabernacles, what would occur is all the Levites and the priests would line up going down the mountain from Mount Zion where the Temple Mount is, down into the valley to the Pool of Siloam, and they would take buckets and they would sing psalms and they would take buckets of water and grab them and pass these buckets up to the tabernacle, to the Holy of Holies, pour water on it so that the altar, the blood from the altar that cleansed the people of Israel would then be spread throughout the city. This was happening that we know historically at the time of Jesus during this feast. This was to fulfill what is stated in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3 and 4. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And look at what Jesus says in Jerusalem while this is happening in the backdrop. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, or will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is making the statement. You're looking for this to cleanse the city and all in it, but it comes from him, from Jesus, during this exact procession. Look at the book of Revelation, interestingly, gives this depiction of the new heavens in the new Jerusalem, and it says, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, in Revelation 22, starting in verse 2, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You see, the people of Israel, when they're celebrating tabernacles, they're remembering when God dwelt with them. But prophetically, it's pointing forward to a time to where after we're resurrected and we dwell in God's presence, very likely is actually prophetically what this is pointing forward to. Look at verse 6, even what it says about the new Jerusalem. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of water of life without payment. The idea is coming from the presence of God flows water that makes everything well and takes care of all of our needs. Look at this. This was also happens during the Feast of Tabernacles for the people of Israel. They had giant menorahs, massive candles, so much so Josephus said that they were so bright and so big that they made the city in the evening look like it was daytime. And look at what Jesus says with this in the backdrop in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have 
the light of life. And when we look again at the new Jerusalem and we see the description that is given as to what this is like, it says, and night will be no more and they will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The Feast of Tabernacles powerfully looks like it points forward to the time to where we dwell in the presence of God. Let's look at this in Psalms chapter 40, starting in verse 7. The psalmist writes this, Then I said, Behold, I come, and the scroll of the book is written of me. The author of Hebrews, when he describes what this passage means, says this, Therefore, when he came into the world, speaking of Jesus, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin you have no pleasure. Then... I said, behold, I have come, and the volume of the book is written of me to do your will, O God. Jesus says that all of the Hebrew scriptures is about him. This is what he says. And so we can be assured that just like Jesus died on the Passover so that your sins can be forgiven, and just like Jesus rose from the dead on first fruits, as Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he is the first fruits of the resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost. We can be assured that Jesus is going to come back. You will be resurrected into bodies that don't break apart like mine does now, which I'm getting excited about. I was hanging a towel the other day, and I think I hurt myself. I'm waiting for this, but he promises us new glorified bodies and then he will forgive those who are his, judge those who aren't, and then we have the promise that we will dwell with him forever and we know it will occur because whatever God says is true. And he shows through the feast his plan, not just for his first coming, but also for his return. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, Father, we thank you and we praise your holy name. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for your love for us and for your assurance that you have given us through your son that when we put our faith and trust in you that we have eternal life. God, we pray for those who don't know you, Lord, that they too, Father, will come to believe and to know you, God. Father, use us as your tools to be able to reach them so that they will have this opportunity for eternal life in glorified bodies in your wonderful presence. God, we love you and we praise you and we look forward to the day that we get to see you and that you rule and reign here with us. In the name of your son, Jesus the Messiah. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Amen.